Well, good morning. I'm excited about today's study because the roots of it extend all the way back into my childhood. It's amazing to me what the mind retains from one's childhood and what one forgets. But one of the things I remember was the close of our church worship service. The pastor would assume the pulpit one more time and he would offer a prayer with all the warmth and love of a shepherd for his flock as they went out into the world. And I never forgot the words. I thought his prayer was particularly beautiful. And the very things he was praying for were simply amazing. And it was only years later that I found out that he was praying benedictions from the scriptures, that he was calling down God's favor upon us, that we would live by his power and by his grace. And so we looked at Numbers 6, 24 through 27. That was one that he would occasionally use. And this morning, it's our privilege to look at two more biblical benedictions. And I think when you look at what these prayers ask the Lord to do, it is truly amazing, both in its scope and in its desire, that we grow in grace. Notice, first of all, the first one is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Beginning in verse 23, now may the God of peace himself. So we're going to see in both benedictions, the focus begins by looking at God, particularly with regard to his kindness and his favor toward his children. Notice that he identifies God as the God of peace. And therefore, as he comes to the Lord to pray this benediction, he is first of all moved by the fact that God's justice, his wrath was satisfied by the death of Christ. The separation was removed. And by grace, through faith in the gospel, he now is at peace with God. And again, the word peace has the idea of an inner sense of rest, tranquility, and wholeness. And so as he comes to the Lord, he comes as one who has a deep sense of access, of privilege, and of boldness as he comes to the throne of grace to make a request based on relationship. Here he can enter into the very presence of God without fear and with great confidence to make a request of God that only God can bring about. So notice that in the beauty of the language of the text, he begins by focusing our eyes on the transforming power of the gospel, that you and I who are sinners, alienated, estranged from God, now have the privilege of calling down God's favor and experiencing personal relationship with him. Notice the next part, sanctify you entirely. This is the essence of the request for blessing. It's a prayer for God himself to increasingly cause us to be wholly dedicated to him, set apart from the world, wholly devoted and loyal to God by the power of the Spirit in response to the word. Notice that this is not just a prayer for sanctification. It's an, a prayer that we would be entirely sanctified. Now, the connotation of the word translated entirely is twofold. Obviously, it has the sense of quantity, that we would be wholly dedicated to him. 
But it also has the idea of quality that we would offer to him an increasing sense of maturity, that we would be increasingly yielded to him and more fully conformed to his image so that we might actually attain the level of maturity that is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, any comments, observations as we start off this wonderful benediction? Any uh, observations that you would like to share? Yeah. Wondering, it's a spiritual and body. So even the flesh is being sanctified throughout the process of by the time our Excellent. Excellent. Let's jump into the next part. Notice that he moves on and moves from praying entirely to may your soul and spirit and body be preserved complete. This drives directly at the question you asked. I, I would say that Paul is here identifying three aspects, theologically speaking, of our human nature. Now, we're going to take a little rabbit trail. If you do a word study, you'll discover that the terms soul and spirit are sometimes used interchangeably, okay? In some contexts, they describe the principle of life, a living soul, a living spirit. And in those contexts, they can be used interchangeably. Often they will be used to describe our personality functions. It's who we are. It is the source of what we would call our personality, our intellect, our will, and our emotion. And the term body can also be used to describe the principle of life, the fact that we are a living being. But in certain instances, the terms take on a very specific connotation. And I would take it that this is one of those passages, that when spirit and soul and body are used in a context like this, as in Hebrews 4.12, as in 1 Corinthians 15.44, there's actually a distinct nuance associated with each. The spirit has to do with our immaterial personality functions in relation to God. Soul describes our immaterial personality functions in relation to our decision-making, our will, what we would consider our personality itself, our choices, our likes and dislikes. And the body is the source of world consciousness. So one of the amazing aspects of this prayer is the way in which it actually pauses to enumerate the various aspects of our being and the need that they have to be sanctified. When he says, may our spirit be sanctified, it means that we are asking the Lord to enhance that aspect of our being that experiences relationship with him through the word, through prayer, uh, through fellowship with other believers like what we're doing this morning and what I trust that each of you do in the context of your local church to promote our relationship with God and our growth, what we would consider spiritually. And often when we talk about sanctification, that's what the focus is often directed toward. But notice by adding soul, 
We also desire that our personalities be conformed to the image of Christ, the way in which we express ourselves, the choices we make. I have the privilege of talking to a lot of uh, people, and it's often interesting to ask the wives how their husband has changed over the years of marriage, particularly those that have been married for a significant length of time. And sometimes it's disheartening to, fee- to find out that their particular spouse has always had a problem with temper, always had a problem with self-absorption, always had a problem with um, uh, being impatient. Uh, and from the day they got married to the date of our conversation, there's really not been any significant change. And this is a reminder that when it comes to becoming more like Christ, there should be an observable refinement that occurs in our lives so that with regard to the choices we make, the things that entertain us, the things that we pursue with great passion and desire, they increasingly become conformed to God's will and God's word as a matter of growth and maturity in Christ. By focusing on the body, and this gets back to your question, very long answer to your question, George, but we very seldom think of the body as being subject to sanctification. But here, I think we're praying that the Lord would guide us in getting the kind of sleep, the kind of exercise, the kind of diet that reflects our commitment to Jesus Christ. That when it comes to controlling substances, when it comes to anything that would impede or, or damage our body, uh, that we would be very, very careful to yield that aspect of our being to the Lord as well. So what's remarkable about this prayer is that we're praying that we would be preserved complete. Now the word preserve is a request that God would actually watch over and guard us to not only keep us intact, but protect us against um, temptation, falling into sin so that we would emerge without lack or without deficiency, whether in body, soul, or spirit. Now, any questions or comments on this aspect of the text? Yeah. I often wondered the difference between soul and spirit. I've asked several people, they didn't know. Yeah. So this is the first time I've seen it. And the question is, before we're believers, we still have the spirit, we're just not aware of it, or we're not influenced. Excellent question. Yeah, I would take it that as created in the image of God, everybody has a body, soul, and spirit. Every living human being has a body, soul, and spirit. Unbelievers have a spirit that is operating in separation from God. That's why even an unbeliever will seek some sort of spiritual outlet. It might be yoga, it might be transcendental meditation, it might be another world religion. But Augustine himself said something like, the uh, the soul of man is restless until it finds its peace in you. And I think that even unbelievers can identify with a certain sense of restlessness for some sort of relationship with a divine being 
uh, unless it's suppressed. And we can suppress that feeling, in which case they might become an atheist or something like that. But at least, you know, as you see young life, children progress, they seem come equipped with that category in their minds and hearts uh, until the world gets a hold of it and begins to point it in a different direction than the true and living God. Great question. So the spiritual side is there, just it's not being nurtured. Right, it's, it's separated from God, and therefore it's wandering, if you will, uh, to seek some sort of outlet. And that's where children's ministry can be particularly important, as well as adults, of course. But that's where, too, if you find an adult who's seeking or searching, that's also an evidence that that is functioning. It's just not functioning properly. It's been uh, marred by the fall. Did you have a comment? Yeah, question. Yeah, I want to ask you to refine this question because I don't know how to answer it. Sure. For the believer, um, comment on spirit in terms of natural spirit that we struggle with and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. I've got my spirit, there's a Holy Spirit, I believe, but I'm not in that fullness. Okay, just sort of comment on it. Yeah, I would take it that. Um, I'll go back to this diagram. I would take it that the spirit, capital S, works through the spirit, small s, to affect the entire person. Remember, even though we're talking about the parts, he said, may, the, may God entire you, uh, entirely sanctify you. So we are a, a unity of all these elements. But the spirit of God, I believe, works through the spirit of the individual and through that means exercises his controlling influence over every aspect of our being. Um, so yeah, don't confuse this small s with capital S. Um, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon and abides within uh, the believer through his indwelling ministry, he operates his influence particularly through that aspect of our being that is designed for fellowship with him. Interestingly enough, in, 15, in 1 Corinthians 15, 44, this body is called a soulish body. Translations vary as to how they translate it, but it's actually the word for soul. Our resurrection body is going to be a spiritual body, not in the sense that it's any less material, flesh and blood, than this one, but I think the animating principle, that which will control our choices, is that aspect that is designed for relationship with God, which makes perfect sense in the eternal state where um, we are now glorified and live lives of devotion to him. Other questions, comments? And as far as the body is concerned, it, thought, it came to mind that uh, Romans 12, 1, where we are our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Exactly. So that yeah, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We present our bodies a living sacrifice to God. Obviously, we're presenting our whole beings, but I think the focus is particularly on the care, the way in which we use our bodies. Uh, Paul will use that same argument to argue against fornication because our bodies belong to the Lord. So there's a lot of different elements of sanctification that affect various aspects of the individual. Great observation. There were other hands. Yes? Would you happen to know uh, where the, when the verse, when Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live? 
Um, Which is he addressing all three of those components that we see up here right now? Yeah. Oh boy. Um, Yo, know, it's one of those things where I was designed with a 286 memory, and I could probably pull up that verse. It's just the little uh, hourglass is terrible. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Galatians 3.20. And the life I live, I now live by faith in the Son of God. Yeah, again, context is always normative, so in that context, I would say he's looking for his entire being. Uh, to um, be characterized by faith in God. Um, I'm hesitant to call on uh, David, but go ahead. Uh, I was thinking of, of the God consciousness struggle. Okay, excellent. Yeah, the God consciousness spirit. Uh, God works through the spirit, uh, or I should say through creation to impact the spirit that there is a creator. Okay, there is, we have the software, so to speak, to interpret the data that God is sending us through creation and through conscience. Sadly, however, human beings suppress that truth rather than respond. It's this aspect of the being that means we have the software inherent in us to um, open the file, if you will, that God is sending us, that the heavens declare the glory of God. According to Romans 1, it declares his uh, divine power and his uh, attributes. Any other comments? Yeah. Quick one. My understanding over the years has been mainly spirit is regenerate when we become saved. And because we're regenerate in the spirit, we can have fellowship with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit cannot interface with imperfection. Right. Well, in a sense, the body being the world, the soul being where we are making the decision. Am I going to set my mind on the things of the spirit and live for God? Am I going to follow God's will? Or am I going to set my things on the things of the flesh and follow the world and follow the, you know, the world's will? But it's in that sure. soul where my heart is, where I'm deciding, I'm choosing. Am I going to follow God? Am I going to follow Satan? Excellent. The, the spirit, you know, we can be saved, but we can also still choose to go the worldly route. Excellent. And this will come back to God. But the soul is where we can make that renewing of the mind, the decision, the, the reshaping, the thinking, the creating me a new heart, all that stuff. Yep. Where we choose which way to go. Well, and again, you, you guys are great. I mean, if this were a full bore course in, in anthropology, we could talk about heart because there are a lot of other biblical terms that describe this phenomenon. Heart is often used for these elements, only now what, what we feel passionate about, the emotional side of it. Uh, so are, we, are our hearts desirous of relationship with God? Are our hearts desirous of advancement? Those kind of questions. Yeah. So then what the other gentleman says before, the spirit that if, until they become a Christ follower, uh, they be like John A. Briggs talks about that for non Christian a child of them. Okay. Yeah, exactly. In other words, every aspect was affected by the fall. Okay, so there was, total depravity means that every part was affected. That's why we age and die. That's the body. Uh, that's why human beings will take a fantastic technology like the internet 
and begin to inter figure out how they can deal in pornography, how they can access numbers. It's all coming from here to twist and pervert the good gifts that God gives us. With regard to this, God is sending a message, and the only qualification I would give to uh, George's comment is I think the Spirit still is drawing people. He's still working, but sadly, many unbelievers suppress that truth through creation and through conscience, and as a result, after a while, according to the wording of Romans 1, God will give them up to those desires. But nevertheless, human beings are equipped with the uh, ability to understand what they see in creation and what they feel, what they perceive in conscience, the difference between right and wrong and good and evil. Great questions. Any other questions? Okay. Then notice he's asking the Lord here to guard and keep intact amid temptation and danger. Because quite frankly, our attack is not just spiritual. As we go through our days, we are attacked at the soul level and on the bodily level. So that there is a significant uh, attack by the world and this prayer for blessing is that God will basically protect and guide. And this is where the prayer gets really neat. Notice what he says. Preserve complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the phrase without blame basically means free from any impurity. Now process that. One of the beauties of this benediction is allowing yourself to, to process what it is we're actually asking for. That we will be flawlessly pure before God. Think of yourself like a diamond, if you will, and through this world, God is in the process of shaping and polishing. Can you imagine standing before the judgment seat of Christ when the efforts of your life, the yieldedness, your reliance upon the Lord is unveiled and you look like this. A flawless diamond, a beautiful gem, a trophy to God's grace and power in your life that reflects in all of its brilliance the glory of the God who has been at work in our lives. Now, if you're like me, I'm named Thomas for a reason. You're, I'm saying to myself, not going to happen. Not going to happen. I mean, as much as I would like to go through my day wholly sanctified in body, soul, and spirit, I'm amazed by how quickly I stumble and fall on a daily basis. But notice that's not where the prayer ends. Notice that we're praying that as we eagerly anticipate the Lord's return, we don't set our sights too low. We need to allow the Word of God to work in our minds and hearts so we realize that we serve a God of peace who is at work in our lives, who is faithful. Notice how the prayer ends. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it 
to pass. Now, notice that the, the doubting Thomas syndrome, this is too wonderful, there's no way this is going to happen, maybe progress, but certainly not flawlessness, is brought to a head. God can be trusted to completely carry out his promises. If you want and aspire to live a flawless life, all the resources necessary are available to you by grace through faith in Christ. We can be confidently assured of good if we simply grasp what this prayer is offering. And if you're like me, I can identify with this uh, emoticon. That's how big the offer of this benediction is. And you know, as I thought about it, this even rivals Tom Flynn's let's go, okay? <laughs> that as we go through our day to be so sanctified in body, soul, and spirit, that when the day comes for us to appear before Christ, he can inspect our lives with all the scrutiny of divine knowledge and say, flawless, blameless, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the kind of benediction that we should desire for each of our lives. Any comments, observations? Yeah. When you said that, I just was just like, wow. I mean, wow. Yeah, when you can do that. <laughs> Amen. That's why I had to put him up here, because that, that is a wow moment. And yet, sadly, believers often settle for less. Now, it may take a while to get there. Sanctification is a process. But don't give in to the lie that you can only progress so far in the Christian faith and then stagnate or stall out or find contentment or be satisfied with partial sanctification. Maybe you have a really rich spiritual life, but your personality is so irritating, no one wants to be around you. In other words, there, to be so wholly sanctified that the life of Christ is more indelibly impressed upon us every day. Any other comments, observations? Yes. I would say that God breathed into man, Nishama, and he became a living soul. Mm -hmm. So the breath of God makes us a living person. Absolutely. Then in Job 4.32.8, uh, this, this one that was real comfort to Job said, In me is the breath of God, and I have understanding. That's spiritual understanding. Then in Proverbs 27, it's neat, uh, Nishima again, and that gives us conscience. Excellent. And there's, animals have a small part of life, but they do not have a spiritual nature, and they do not have a conscience. Excellent. That's the difference between us and animals. Excellent. Yeah, a matter of fact, the, the various aspects of our being is one of those things that sets us apart from the animal kingdom and as a result gives human life a dignity and a richness. All right, let's move on to the second prayer, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. If the first prayer asks for sanctification, this one asks for strengthening. 
Notice, like the previous one, he starts off by focusing on the God who gives every good and perfect gift. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter uh, 2, beginning in verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Now, just a exegetical point here at the very beginning. Notice the prayer begins by cherishing, valuing what God has given us in our salvation. And there's an interesting exegetical point. Notice that both our Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father are mentioned, but every verb after that is singular. So it's an implicit way of affirming what we know as the doctrine of the Trinity, that the Trinity is comprised of three persons, one God. Now only two are explicitly mentioned in this prayer, but it's an interesting exegetical point that seems to be in keeping with the, the nature of the Godhead. Notice he begins by affirming that this God that we serve has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope. So right out of the chute, he's focusing on the fact that God is love, that he has given us that which is morally excellent, beneficial, and valuable. And by giving, it focuses on the fact that God initiated he initiated and spontaneously showered us with manifestations of his love, even though that love was unmerited and undeserved. Notice he provides eternal comfort. Comfort is that aspect of divine love that relieves from distress, pain, and uh, suffering. Often during our prayer request time, we're focused on people who are going through some aspect of pain and suffering. God is the one who provides relief and ultimately hope, confident hope of good. Hope in scripture is again, the expectation of something good that is willing to wait for that good to arrive. We are waiting because we know what that good is. Thankfully, on the basis of God's word, we know exactly what we are waiting for and are willing to um, remain faithful, optimistic that God will prove good to his promises. So out of the love that saved us, we may now confidently ask God to provide something. Notice that it's because of who God is that we can then turn and ask God to comfort us. Now the word comfort has two dimensions. First of all, it means to relieve from distress based on his promises. Many of you need comfort this morning. Maybe it's job stress, physical stress. Maybe it's family tension. Thanksgiving family gatherings are not always a happy time for everyone. So that we live in a fallen world where there are a great deal of pressures and anxieties. Comfort means that God in his grace provides uh, relief 
based on his promises, that as we look in his word, we find the basis of confident assurance that inspires us with hope and refreshes us for persistence. That rather than give up, rather than give in, rather than retreat in isolation, we are able to renew our strength in the promises of God. That strengthening is contained in the next request. Comfort and strengthen your hearts. The word strengthen basically means to increase our resolve, unshakable, standing firm. That when we're tempted, when we're attacked, when we're fearful, we remain resolute in our commitment to God and to his word, particularly in that area of our being where our decisions are made, where our passion resides, so that um, the very center where action is decided remains committed and faithful to the Lord. Now, notice that the strengthening is particularly in every good work and word. And again, one of the beauties of this benediction is the clarity of it. We're basically asking the Lord to help us persist in doing his will in everything we do and everything we say. And again, this is one of those wow moments because notice the term every. Think about that for a while. It is an amazing promise of God that this is something, as in the former prayer, that we could never accomplish in our own strength. You and I might have all the resolve in the world, but apart from God's empowerment, we could not be wholly sanctified, nor could we be strengthened in every good work and word. But by relying upon God's strength, by asking for his power, we can with assurance go through our day knowing that everything we do and everything we say can be guided and directed by the Lord in such a way that it reflects our loyalty and commitment to him. And again, it's a number one, another one of those wow moments because I don't know about you, but it doesn't take very long in my day before I either say something stupid, usually in relation to my wife, or do something that I wish I hadn't done. Notice that by God's gracious provision, this benediction is God's provision for navigating the choices that we make in a way that honors and glorifies him. Now, any comments, observations on this prayer? Yeah. In notes, is your heart then encompassing the spirit, soul, and Body. Yeah, exactly. I, I would take it that the heart is encompassing all those aspects, but particularly with regard to, to our feeling, our passion, what we're, what we're devoted to, what we have a genuine interest for. It's, it's kind of like if you're looking forward to the day-to-day, -day, what comprises that looking forward? What is it that gets you stirred up and excited? 
And it could be a spiritual, it could be a soulish element, or it could be a bodily element. I had a roommate in college who loved to jog, and that was one of his things. I, I never could understand that passion, but he ran two and a half miles every morning and actually looked like he enjoyed it, which, you know, was one of these things. But he did, and I'm thankful he did. And so I don't want to do it. Well, uh, he was grinning from ear to ear uh, the whole time. So, but the, so all of us have elements that we feel happy, committed to, excited about. That's why the prayer here is that sanctification and strengthening and commitment to God is not a drudgery, something arduous, something that is a burden. If you get up in the morning and say, oh, I got to read my scripture. I hope it's not a long passage this morning because uh, I've got other things to do. That's not a manifestation of a heart that is wholly devoted to God. If you're going to read the Bible, there ought to be a sense of enthusiasm about it. That's why we're asking the Lord to guard our, uh, to um, strengthen our hearts. Any other comments, observations? Okay. Well, hopefully both of these have been an encouragement to you, and hopefully both of them will not remain idle in our Bibles as beautiful prayers, but things that we will actually be encouraged to pray on behalf of ourselves and on behalf of those that we care for deeply. So let's pray together. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.